welcome you all back to <clears throat> the midweek version of Shepherd's Chapel. We're going through two books, <clears throat> both the book of Acts and the book of Revelation. Today we're just going to um, finish up with Acts 14 and go into Acts 15. We're not going to proceed with Revelation today. <clears throat> but for those of you who are listening, on Spotify, we do this on a regular basis, and we're in the process of converting some of our earlier YouTube messages to Spotify as well. And you can find us on Spotify at Shepherd's Chapel NW. Well, we're in the book of Acts. Acts is written by Luke. He's writing this as a historical summary over decades to a friend of his named Theophilus. Theophilus means friend of God. And Luke is a physician. We know this just from history. And as such, he is probably very detailed and he focuses uh, a number of details throughout on different things, especially the events and the places where the apostles travel. Well, one of the things that we learn in this lesson as we conclude Acts 14 is how fickle the human heart is. I was thinking about this the other day. We all like winners, don't we? And we don't like losers, do we? You could see this the other day with the NFL. There were some amazing games over the weekend. And some of the people uh, handled their wins with grace, and some just didn't. Some just didn't. You know, when Aaron Rodgers, who has played for years uh, with the Green Bay Packers, lost Jimmy Garoppolo, who's the quarterback of the uh, San Francisco 49ers, had some very unkind and belligerent and vulgar words for um, Aaron Rodgers. We like winners. We don't like losers. The problem that Garoppolo had, though, with um, Aaron Rodgers wasn't that he had lost, but that Aaron Rodgers over the whole season didn't really want to come out whether or not he was vaccinated or not. That was a real issue. Had nothing to do with whether or not he was one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. It was whether or not this guy was on my team as far as vaccinations. <clears throat> We're living in a crazy world, folks. We're living in a world in which people are getting nuts about vaccinations and masks. But Again, we're also living in a world where we like winners, we like losers, and we don't like people that make comments about us that we don't agree with. <clears throat> One of the classes that I've taught over the years, both as a pastor and then as uh, a teacher doing counseling with folks, is the book Boundaries by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. And in that class, I would always say these words. You can have a relationship with anybody on planet Earth 
as long as you're willing to do it on their terms. As long as you're willing to do it on their terms. You strike up a friendship with somebody and they're always late. You tell them you'd like to meet for lunch at 12 and they show up at 12.20. You make a, a phone date to call each other and they just blow it off. And you can either put up with that or at some point you can draw the line on that. There are people in marriages, there are people in relationships that are willing to put up with crappy behavior on other people but they're willing to put up with it because, by golly, at least I'm in a relationship. So you can have a relationship with anybody on earth as long as it's on your terms. And I want to share with you some things that are going on here. <clears throat> Paul and Barnabas, we left off last week in Acts 14. They're at Lystra, just a little town. And while they're there, they heal a man, and the crowd is just overcome with them. That What do they think? They think the gods are here in human flesh. And they say, no, 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 no. We're not gods. No. You got the wrong guys. We are not gods. We're men just like you. And <clears throat> the crowd is insistent. They want to sacrifice bulls to them. And we left off, and just some of the narrative with which we left off last week, verse 15, Acts 14. Why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. Don't you dare offer sacrifices to us. And again, I remind myself before we go any further that we're going to pray because I forgot to open with prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we dare not presume that we know these things well because we don't. And we certainly can't teach them to others unless you teach them to us. And so we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to learn the truth of God in order that we may live the truth of God and then teach the truth of God to others. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And then he says these words, which I find remarkable. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. God was willing to allow them to do their own thing Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And he's making a point. It's the goodness of God that should have led the masses of mankind to cry out to God and say, thank you. Lord, how can we have a relationship with you with which you're pleased? And they didn't. And they don't. There's a verse that rings ever in my head, probably at least once a week. It's an obscure verse. It appears in Matthew. It also appears, I believe, in Mark. Jesus is asked, 
When is he going to return? And his answer is this. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Now, I want you to think about that with me for a moment. You've got to put on your spiritual thinking cap, all right? What was happening in the time of Noah? First of all, no rain. Just didn't rain. On top of that, a man with three sons is out somewhere in a field. A field. It's not near a river. It's not near an ocean. It's basically in a field. Doing what? Building a big boat. How big a boat? Take a football field. Add another half of a football field, and that's how long. Take a football field and make it a little bit less wide than a football field, and that's how wide. And then look at a telephone pole and imagine that the top floor of the ark was about as high as a telephone pole. And that's what you got. Now, there was no Home Depot. They're not going to Home Depot to buy wood. Had to be a place where there was a lot of trees. They're cutting down trees. They're making boards. They're making nails. They're building an ark. 120 years. What are people doing? People are just doing their own thing. God had said at the very beginning when he spoke to Noah, the imaginations of men's hearts were only evil continually. That's how it reads in the King James. Said a little bit closer to the way we thought. The way people thought, they were just evil all the time. I'm going to destroy mankind, Noah. Go build an ark. Why, Lord? Because the way people think, they're only evil all the time. So when Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so it will be when the Son of Man comes, he's saying in part, society is anti-God and they think evil. And they think only for themselves. They're out for number one. If I have a relationship with Amy and I'm looking out for Amy or me, I'm choosing me. If John wants to have a friendship with all of us, John's looking out for John. That's what that verse means practically. They were only evil all the time. Well, imagine how they were during that 120 years. They weren't changing. Noah started out with him and his sons. How many did he end up with? He didn't end up with hundreds of workers saying, we're in, we're helping you build the ark. Thousands of people, I'll make the board. Somebody else, I'll make the nails. Somebody else, I'll gather the animals. I'll gather the food. I'll gather the provisions. None of that. <clears throat> How many people got on the ark? Do you know? 
Noah, his three sons, and his three daughters-in-law. After 120 years of the masses of mankind that were in that area, watching this crazy family build something that why on earth there's no water around here? Why are you building this odd-looking house? It's gigantic. <clears throat> there were no animals. God brings the animals. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah. <coughs> to which here's the point. When people are looking for the signs of the times as to when Jesus is going to come back, remember the words, as it was in the days of Noah. Are most people getting up in the morning thinking about God? Most people aren't. Most people aren't. These days, most people are thinking about the vaccine. They're thinking about how much more money can we get from the government. They think about whether or not, if they're Democrats, you know, are the Democrats going to really lose big or win big? They're Republicans. Are the Republicans going to take over the House and the Senate? Or is that just a fake thing? Or what's the latest thing on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime? That's what they're thinking about. But they're not getting up in the morning thinking, Lord, how can I serve you today? Well, again, all of this is relevant for this reason. The heart is fickle. These are people that are ready because they think that Barnabas, and Paul are gods in the flesh, and they're ready to sacrifice. And here's what happens next. <coughs> Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowd, they stoned Paul. And having persuaded the crowd, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, Supposing he was dead. Wait a minute. Is this the same Paul or is this a different Paul? It's the same Paul that a minute ago they were ready to bow down and worship because Paul and Barnabas had healed this man. Look how fickle their hearts are. Some people came along and they're saying, that Paul isn't all that. That Paul's talking against Moses, against the temple, against our religion. You know what the law says. It says stone somebody like that. I brought along some stones. Take some of my stones. And they stoned him. And they stoned him to the point where they thought he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose and he entered the city. And on the next day, he went out with Barnabas to Derby. Now, when I read this passage, it reminded me of the other passage that I asked you to keep your finger on. You remember that? It was a while ago. Luke chapter 4, the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And what happens? One day, it says in uh, Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. 
Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. This is after his temptation. And a report about him went throughout the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. Okay? Got that? Hold that thought. He becomes a popular Jewish preacher in the synagogue. Until one day, he goes into a synagogue. And the custom, look at me for a moment, those of you who are listening here in person. In the synagogue, keep in mind, and in the first century, keep in mind, nobody has one of these. No Bibles. No Bibles. You came into the synagogue or you came into the temple and there were a number of scrolls. Big. Not little. Not tiny. Big. I've seen them in other synagogues, three, four, five feet long. And that's how the scriptures were maintained. And if you were the teacher or a teacher or a rabbi, you would come in and you would select a certain scroll, you would unroll it, get to a certain spot, and you would begin reading it. You'd begin reading it from right to left because it's in Hebrew, not in English. It's in Hebrew, which is the original language of the Israelites and then subsequently the Jews. So this is what's happening. And Jesus goes into the synagogue. And here's what happens. This is, I, I love this passage. He came to Nazareth where he was brought up. You know, Jesus of Nazareth. Joseph, the carpenter of Nazareth, comes into his hometown. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll. He found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent him to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, set the stage. He comes into the synagogue of his hometown. When I came back to Lamb Foundation, I remember Donna sent me an email. It was, it was cute. It was nice. It was more friend-to-friend -friend than anything because we go back a long way. And she said, what do you think about this? And it was a flyer. It was a good-looking picture of me with the heading that went like this. Pastor Bill is coming back. I had been gone six years. We had moved up to Bloomsburg. And it was a big deal. It was an emotional deal. The way I was received, particularly by her. Because when I told her that we were moving from Bloomsburg back, the very first words out of her mouth 
were, when are you coming back? And I said, when are we coming back as in moving? She said, when are you coming back to work at Lamb again? That's exactly what she said to me. And I said, let's talk, which we did the following week and sorted that out. <coughs> so I was coming back to home base. Jesus is coming back to home base. Grew up, little boy, Nazareth. Probably everybody in town knew him. Little town, not big. The carpenter's son. He needed something fixed. He got, went to the carpenter. You know, we talk about Joseph as a carpenter. But think of Joseph more as the handyman. That's really what he did. He, he made furniture, of course, but... He was more than a carpenter. He was somebody that was able to fix things. And Nazareth was such a small town, I doubt that there were many more than him. As he needed something done, he's the man. And here's his son, and he's come back. And guess who's, guess who's speaking today? In synagogue, Jesus is coming back. That's the setting. Everybody got that? So he reads these words from Isaiah. <coughs> he then rolls up the scroll. He gives it back to the person in charge of the scrolls, the, the attendant. And he sits down. And all the eyes of the people in the synagogue were fixed on him. You could probably hear a pin drop. I've experienced that. I, it's a neat sensation. I've been in churches where I've been preaching and it's been hard to preach because the people are just not engaged. I've also been in churches where I've been preaching and I know how to speak better now and use the pregnant pauses where I just wait to get everybody's attention and I'm looking around and I know that all they're doing is waiting for the next thing for me to say. That's what's happening here. Jesus just spoke out of what we call Isaiah, the latter parts of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He rolls up the scroll. He gives it to the attendant. The eyes of the people in the synagogue are all fixed on him. And he began to say to them, listen to these words. These are amazing words. Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What are you talking about, Jesus? These are words of prophecy that have yet to be fulfilled. And what's he saying? You're listening to these words. They're coming to fulfillment right as I'm speaking them to all of you. They didn't jump on their feet. They didn't start giving him a standing ovation. Watch what happens. And think in terms of the human heart and how fickle. Welcomed one moment. Our invited guest, Jesus of Nazareth, is here. He's given the place of honor to speak. And he does. And then he says, these words are fulfilled right before your eyes. You don't have to wait anymore. God's fulfilling his prophecy. God's fulfilling his word right before your eyes. <clears throat> and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words 
that were coming from his mouth, and they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. He's saying this. Maybe he heard something on the way in that went like this. Maybe when he's here, he'll do a miracle. John, why don't you go over to him and ask if he'll do a miracle? Alan, why don't you speak to him and see if he'll do something like turn water into wine? We heard about that. Heal somebody who's sick. That's what he's saying when he says those words. Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. In other words, we want to see miracles. And they're missing the point because right within their hearing, a miracle is happening as the scriptures and prophecy is being fulfilled. And he says this, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But I tell you the truth. I tell you that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. And a great famine came upon the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, to a widow, a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the prophet, or Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, they were all filled with anger. Why were they filled with anger? He's saying, in essence, I'm not doing a miracle. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But the rest of you can't hear because you're not really people who are believing in me. That's what he's saying. That's why they're angry. But look what happens next. <coughs> and they rose up, and they drove him out of the town, and they brought him to the brow of the hill. The edge of the cliff is what brow of the hill means. What are they going to do? We're tossing this guy over. We're sending him to his death. How dare he speak to us like that? So they could not, or so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through the midst, he went away. What happened? They can't stand what he said. All they wanted was, "Hey, we invited you. We know you can do magic tricks. We want to see a couple." He says, "No. No. The scriptures have been fulfilled. That's enough. Provided you believe." But I know this when I come to these places and I speak. I may be speaking to five of you or 500 of you. I know some of you will believe and many of you will not. But that's no different in the way God has always dealt with people. In the time of Elisha, God only dealt with a one woman in a little town called Zarephath. There were many widows. God only dealt with one. In the time of Naaman, <coughs> excuse me, uh, 
or the time of Elisha, there was there were many lepers. God only sent Elisha to one. God's message is for those who receive it and those who act on it. But the rest of you know. And they didn't like the message so much that they turned on him as quickly as the crowd in Acts turns on Paul and Barnabas. How come? Because the unbelieving, the evil heart, isn't going to change. Isn't it interesting, going back to as it was in the days of Noah, we don't have anywhere in the scriptures of the Holy Spirit recording that while God is sealing up the eight in the ark along with the animals, that there are other people begging to get in. We don't have that, do we? They're not begging to get in. They're still content and doing their own thing. We've been going through the book of Revelation. And when God is bringing his anger and bringing his judgments down upon the people of earth, do we see lots of people saying, oh, Lord, save us? We don't see that, do we? We say, and they, they raise their voices to God and they curse God. Why? Because they were evil. And just because something was happening didn't alleviate them or free them from their evilness. So go back to <coughs> Acts, and we'll finish up for the evening with just a few more words. Verse 20. When the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and he entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, that's not a popular message. But that is the gospel message. That the gospel life, while God has your back, the unbeliever does not have your back. The unbeliever would sooner have you drop off the face of the earth. I mean, you can be quiet about your faith, or you can be bold about your faith. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. Then they passed through, and here's a list of different towns, Pisidia, and they came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained 
in a little time with the disciples. What happens? They go back to their home church. And you can imagine the homecoming. We want to know everything that happened. And they couldn't wait to know. And the big news was this. You won't guess what happened. God has not only provided the word and salvation to the Gentiles, but we went to this town and this town and this town, and there were believers and believers and believers, and now we have a bunch of little churches throughout Asia Minor. It must have been an amazing meeting with those people. Think about that. What started out as just a few people going out by boat, by donkey, by foot, going away for months at a time, coming back. Oh, yeah, there were some bad moments. Yeah, they stoned us in a few places. They beat us in a few places. But then we'd go to some places, and there'd be people just, we'd start talking about Jesus, and they'd just start believing. And we remembered that Jesus said that he would build his church, and he's building his church, brothers and sisters. And we're going to go back out again. And they do. And Lord willing, we'll pick up next time at Acts 15. Thank you for the time together.